You are listening to the Auditory Entertainment's production of The Variable Man by Philip K. Dick. Performed by Miranda Johnson and Ryan Johnson. Part 4 Stop here, Reinhardt ordered. The surface car slowed to a halt. Reinhardt peered cautiously out, studying the horizon ahead. On all sides, a desert of scrub grass and sand stretched out. Nothing moved or stirred. To the right, the grass and sand rose up to form immense peaks, a range of mountains without end, disappearing finally into the distance. The Urals. Over there, Reinhardt said to Dixon, pointing. See? No. Look hard. It's difficult to spot unless you know what to look for. Vertical pipes. Some kind of vent or periscopes. Dixon saw them finally. I would have driven past without noticing. It's well concealed. The main labs are a mile down, under the range itself. It's virtually impregnable. Sherkov had it built years ago to withstand any attack. From the air, by surface cars, bombs, missiles. You must feel safe down there. No doubt. Reinhardt gazed up at the sky. A few faint black dots could be seen, moving lazily about in broad circles. Those aren't ours, are they? I gave orders. No, they're not ours. All our units are out of sight. Those belong to Shirkov. His patrol. Reinhardt relaxed. Good. He reached over and flicked on the vid screen over the board of the car. This screen is shielded? It can't be traced? There's no way they can spot it back to us. It's non-directional. The screen glowed into life. Reinhardt punched the combination of keys and sat back to wait. After a time, an image formed on the screen. A heavy face, bushy black beard, and large eyes. Peter Shurkov gazed at Reinhardt with surprised curiosity. Commissioner, where are you calling from? But... How's the work progressing? Reinhardt broke in coldly. Is Icarus almost complete? Shirkov beamed with expansive pride. He's done, Commissioner. Two days ahead of time. Icarus is ready to be launched into space. I tried to call your office, but they told me... I'm not at mine office. Reinhardt leaned towards the screen. Open your entrance tunnel at the surface. You're about to receive visitors. Shirkov blinked. Visitors? I'm coming down to see you. About Icarus. Have the tunnel opened for me at once. Exactly where are you, Commissioner? On the surface? Shirkov's eyes flickered. Oh, but... Open up! Reinhardt snapped. He glanced at his wristwatch. I'll be at the entrance in five minutes. I expect to find it ready for me. Yeah, of course. 
Shirkov nodded in bewilderment. I'm always glad to see you, Commissioner, but I... Five minutes is in. Reinhardt cut the circuit. The screen died. He turned quickly to Dixon. You stay up here, as we arranged. I'll go down with one company of police. You understand the necessity of exact timing on this? We won't slip up. Everything's ready. All units are in their places. Good. Reinhardt pushed the door open for him. You join your directional staff. I'll proceed towards the tunnel entrance. Good luck. Dixon leaped out of the car, onto the sandy ground. A gust of dry air swirled into the car around Reinhardt. I'll see you later. Reinhardt slammed the door. He turned to the group of police crouched in the rear of the car, their guns held tightly. Here we go, Reinhardt murmured. Hold on. The car raced across sandy ground, towards the tunnel entrance to Shirkov's underground fortress. Shirkov met Reinhardt at the bottom end of the tunnel, where the tunnel opened up into the main floor of the lab. The big scientist approached, his hand out, beaming with pride and satisfaction. It's a pleasure to see you, Commissioner. This is a historic moment. Reinhardt got out of the car, with his group of armed security police. Calls for celebration, doesn't it? Yet a good idea. We're two days ahead, Commissioner. The SRB machines will be interested. The odds should change abruptly at the news. Let's go down to the lab. I want to see the control turret myself. A shadow crossed Shirkov's face. I'd rather not bother the workmen right now, Commissioner. They've been under a great load, trying to complete the turret on time. I believe they're putting a few last finishes on it at this moment. We can view them by vidscreen. I'm curious to see them at work. It must be difficult to via such minute relays. Shirkov shook his head. Sorry, Commissioner. No vidscreen on them. I won't allow it. This is too important. Our whole future depends upon it. Reinhardt snapped a signal to his company of police. Put this man under arrest. Shirkov blanched. His mouth fell open. The police moved quickly around him, their gun tubes up, jabbing into him. He was searched rapidly, efficiently. His gun belt and concealed energy screen were yanked off. What's going on? Shirkov demanded, some color returning to his face. What are you doing? You're under arrest for the duration of the war. You're relieved of all authority. From now on, one of my men will operate designs. When the war is over, you'll be tried before the council and President Dufay. Shirkov shook his head, dazed. I don't understand. What's this all about? Explain it to me, Commissioner. What's happened? Reinhardt signaled to his police. Get ready. We're going into the lab. We may have to shoot our way in. The variable man should be in the area of the bomb, working on the control turret. 
Instantly, Sherikov's face hardened. His black eyes glittered, alert and hostile. Reinhardt laughed harshly. Ha! We received a counterintelligence report from Centaurus. I'm surprised at you, Sherikov. You know the Centaurans are everywhere with their relay couriers. You should have known! Sherikov moved, fast. All at once, he broke away from the police, throwing his massive body against them. They fell, scattering. Sherkov ran directly at the wall. The police fired wildly. Reinhardt fumbled frantically for his gun tube, pulling it up. Sherkov reached the wall, running head down, energy beams flashing around him. He struck against the wall and vanished. Down! Reinhardt shouted. He dropped his hands and knees. All around him as police dived to the floor. Reinhardt cursed wildly dragging himself quickly towards the door. They had to get out and right away. Sherkov had escaped. A false wall, an energy barrier set up to respond to his pressure. He had dashed through it to safety. He... From all sides, an inferno burst. A flaming roar of death surging over them, around them, on every side. The room was alive with blazing masses of destruction, bouncing from wall to wall. They were caught between four banks of power, all of them open to full discharge. A trap. A death trap. Reinhardt reached the hall, gasping for breath. He leapt to his feet. A few security police followed him. Behind them, in the flaming room, the rest of the company screamed and struggled, blasted out of existence by the leaping bursts of power. Reinhardt assembled his remaining men. Already, Sherkov's guards were forming. At one end of the corridor, a snub-barreled robot gun was maneuvering into position. A siren wailed. Guards were running on all sides, hurrying to battle stations. The robot gun opened fire. Part of the corridor exploded, bursting into fragments. Clouds of choking debris and particles swept around them. Reinhardt and his police retreated, moving back along the corridor. They reached a junction. A second robot gun was rumbling towards them, hurrying to get within range. Reinhardt fired carefully, aiming at its delicate control. Abruptly, the gun spun convulsively. It lashed against the wall, smashing itself into the unyielding metal. Then it collapsed in a heap, gears still whining and spinning. Come on! Reinhardt moved away, crouching and running. He glanced at his watch. Almost time. A few more minutes. A group of lab guards appeared ahead of them. Reinhardt fired. Behind him, his police fired past him. Violet shafts of energy, catching the group of guards as they entered the corridor. The guards spilled apart, falling and twisting. Part of them settled into dust, drifting down the corridor. Reinhardt made his way towards the lab, crouching and leaping, pushing past heaps of debris and remains, followed by his men. Come on! Don't stop! Suddenly from around them, the booming, enlarged voice of Sherkov thundered, magnified by rows of wall speakers along the corridor. Reinhardt halted, glancing around. Reinhardt! Reinhardt. 
You haven't got a chance. You'll never get back to the surface. Throw down your guns and give up. You're surrounded on all sides. You're a mile under the surface. Reinhardt threw himself into motion, pushing into billowing clouds of particles drifting along the corridor. Are you sure, Shirkov? He grunted. Shirkov laughed, his harsh metallic peals rolling in waves against Reinhardt's eardrums. <laughs> I don't want to have to kill you, Commissioner. You're vital to the war. I'm sorry you found out about the variable man. I admit, we overlooked the Centurion espionage as a factor in this. But now that you know about him... Suddenly, Shirkov's voice broke off. A deep rumble had shaken the floor, a lapping vibration that shuddered through the corridor. Reinhardt sagged with relief. He peered through the clouds of debris, making out the figures on his watch. Right on time, not a second late. The first of the hydrogen missiles launched from the council buildings on the other side of the world were beginning to arrive. The attack had begun. At exactly six o'clock, Joseph Dixon, standing on the surface four miles from the entrance tunnel, gave the sign to the waiting units. The first job was to break down Shirkov's defense screens. The missiles had to penetrate without interference. At Dixon's signal, a fleet of 30 security ships dived from a height of 10 miles, swooping above the mountains, directly over the underground laboratories. Within five minutes, the defense screens had been smashed, and all the tower projectors leveled flat. Now the mountains were virtually unprotected. So far, so good, Dixon murmured as he watched from his secure position. The fleet of security ships roared back, their work done. Across the face of the desert, the police surface cars were crawling rapidly towards the entrance tunnel, snaking from side to side. Meanwhile, Shirkov's counterattack had begun to go into operation. Guns mounted among the hills opened fire. Vast columns of flame burst up in the path of the advancing cars. The cars hesitated and retreated as the plane was churned up by a howling vortex, a thundering chaos of explosions. Here and there, a car vanished in a cloud of particles. A group of cars moving away suddenly scattered, caught up by giant wind that lashed across them and swept them up into the air. Dixon gave orders to have the cannons silenced. The police air swarm swept overhead, a sullen roar of jets that shook the ground below. The police ships dived expertly and hurtled down on the cannon protecting the hills. The cannon forgot the surface cars and lifted their snouts to meet the attack. Again and again, the airships came, rocking the mountains with titanic blasts. The guns became silent. Their echoing boom diminished, died away reluctantly, as bombs took critical toll of them. Dixon watched with satisfaction as the bombing came to an end. The airships rose in a thick swarm, black gnats shooting up in triumph from a dead carcass. They hurried back as emergency anti-aircraft robot guns swung into position and saturated the sky with blazing puffs of energy. Dixon checked his wristwatch. The missiles were already on their way from North America. Only a few minutes remained. The surface cars, freed by the successful bombing, began to regroup for a new frontal attack. Again, 
they crawled forward, across the burning plain, bearing down cautiously on the battered wall of mountains, heading towards the twisted wrecks that had been the ring of defense guns, towards the entrance tunnel. An occasional cannon fired feebly at them. The cars came grimly on. Now, in the hollows of the hills, Cherkov's troops were hurrying to the surface to meet the attack. The first car reached the shadow of the mountains. A deafening hail of fire burst loose. Small robot guns appeared everywhere, needle barrels emerging from behind hidden screens, trees and shrubs, rocks, stones. The police cars were caught in a withering crossfire, trapped at the base of the hills. Down the slopes, Shirkov's guards raced towards the stalled cars. Clouds of heat rose up and boiled across the plain as the cars fired up at the running men. A robot gun dropped like a slug onto the plain and screamed towards the cars, firing as it came. Dixon twisted nervously. Only a few minutes. Any time now. He shaded his eyes and peered up at the sky. No sign of them yet. He wondered about Reinhardt. No signal had come up from below. Clearly, Reinhardt had run into trouble. No doubt there was desperate fighting going on in the maze of underground tunnels. The intricate web of passages, the honeycomb, the earth below the mountains. In the air, Shirkov's few defense ships were taking on the police raiders. Outnumbered, the defense ships darted rapidly, wildly, putting up a futile fight. Sherkov's guards streamed out onto the plain, crouching and running. They advanced towards the stalled cars. The police airships screeched down at them, guns thundering. Dixon held his breath when the missiles arrived. The first missile struck. A section of the mountain vanished, turned to smoke and foaming gases. The wave of heat slapped Dixon across the face, spinning him around. Quickly, he re-entered his ship and took off, shooting rapidly away from the scene. He glanced back. A second and third missile had arrived. Great gaping pits yawned among the mountains, vast sections missing like broken teeth. Now, the missiles could penetrate into the underground laboratories below. On the ground, the surface cars halted beyond the danger area, waiting for the missile attack to finish. When the eighth missile had struck, the cars again moved forward. No more missiles fell. Dixon swung his ship around, heading back towards the scene. The laboratory was exposed. The top sections of it had been ripped open. The laboratory lay like a tin can, torn apart by mighty explosions, its first floors visible from the air. Men and cars were pouring down into it, fighting with the guards swarming to the surface. Dixon watched intently. Sherkov's men were bringing up heavy guns, big robot artillery, but the police ships were diving again. Sherkov's defensive patrols had been cleaned from the sky. The police ships whined down, arcing over the exposed laboratory. Small bombs fell, whistling down, pinpointing the artillery rising to the surface on the remaining lift stages. Abruptly, Dixon's vid screen clicked. Dixon turned towards it. Reinhardt's features formed. Call off the attack. 
His uniform was torn, a deep bloody gash across his street. He grinned sourly at Dixon, pushing his tangled hair back out of his face. Quite a fight. Shirkov? He's called off his guards. We've agreed to a truce. It's all over. No more need. Reinhardt gasped for breath, wiping grime and sweat from his neck. Land your ship and come down here at once. The variable man? That comes next, Reinhardt said grimly. He adjusted his gun tube. I want you down here for that part. I want you to be in on the kill. Reinhardt turned away from the vid screen. In the corner of the room, Sherkov stood silently, saying nothing. Well? Reinhardt barked. Where is he? Where will I find him? Sherkov licked his lips nervously, glancing up at Reinhardt. Commissioner, are you sure? The attack has been called off. Your labs are safe. So is your life. Now it's your turn to come through. Reinhardt gripped his gun, moving towards Sherkov. There is he. For a moment, Sherkov hesitated. Then slowly, his huge body sagged, defeated. He shook his head warily. All right. I'll show you where he is. His voice was hardly audible, a dry whisper. Down this way. Come on. Reinhardt followed Sherikov out of the room, into the corridor. Police and guards were working rapidly, clearing the debris and ruins away, putting out the hydrogen fires that burned everywhere. No tricks, Sherikov. No tricks. Sherikov nodded resignedly. Thomas Cole is by himself in a wing lab off the main rooms. Cole? The variable man. That's his name. The scientist turned his massive head a little. He has a name. Reinhardt waved his gun. Hurry up. I don't want anything to go wrong. This is the part I came for. You must remember something, Commissioner. What is it? Sherkov stopped walking. Commissioner, nothing must happen to the globe. The control turret. Everything depends upon it. The war, our whole... I know. Nothing will happen to the damn thing. Let's go. If it should get damaged... I'm not after the globe. I'm interested only in... in Thomas Cole. They came to the end of the corridor and stopped before a metal door. Shirkov nodded at the door. In there. Reinhardt moved back. Open the door. Open it yourself. I don't want to have anything to do with it. Reinhardt shrugged. He stepped up to the door. Holding his gun level, he raised his hand, passing it in front of the eye circuit. Nothing happened. Reinhardt frowned. He pushed the door with his hand, the door slid open. Reinhardt was looking into a small laboratory. He glimpsed a workbench, tools, 
heaps of equipment, measuring devices, and in the center of the bench, the transparent globe, the control turret. Cole? Reinhardt advanced quickly into the room. He glanced around him, suddenly alarmed. Where? The room was empty. Thomas Cole was gone. When the first missile struck, Cole stopped work and sat listening. Far off, a distant rumble rolled through the earth, shaking the floor under him. On the bench, tools and equipment danced up and down. A pair of pliers fell crashing to the floor. A box of screws tipped over, spilling its minute contents out. Cole listened for a time. Presently, he lifted the transparent globe from the bench with carefully controlled hands. He held the globe up, running his fingers gently over the surface, his faded blue eyes thoughtful. Then, after a time, he placed the globe back on the bench in its mount. The globe was finished. A faint glow of pride moved through the variable man. The globe was part of the finest job he had ever done. The deep rumblings ceased. Cole became instantly alert. He jumped down from his stool, hurrying across the room to the door. For a moment, he stood by the door, listening intently. He could hear noise on the other side, shouts, guards rushing past, dragging heavy equipment, working frantically. A rolling crash echoed down the corridor and lapped against his door. The concussion spun him around. Again, a tide of energy shook the walls and floor and sent him on his knees. The lights flickered and winked out. Cole fumbled in the dark until he found a flashlight. Power failure. He could hear crackling flames. Abruptly, the lights came on again. An ugly yellow, then faded back out. Cole bent down and examined the door with his flashlight. A magnetic lock, dependent on an externally induced electric flux. He grabbed a screwdriver and pried at the door. For a moment, it held. Then it fell open. Cole stepped warily out into the corridor. Everything was in shambles. Guards wandered everywhere, burned and half-blinded. Two lay groaning under a pile of wrecked equipment. Fused guns, reeking metal. The air was heavy with the smell of burning wiring and plastic. A thick cloud that choked him and made him bend double as he advanced. Halt! A guard gasped feebly, struggling to rise. Cole pushed past him and down the corridor. Two small robot guns, still functioning, glided past him hurriedly toward the drumming chaos of battle. He followed. At a major intersection, the fight was in full swing. Sherkov's guards fought security police, crouched behind pillars and barricades, firing wildly, desperately. Again, the whole structure shuddered as a great booming blast ignited someplace above. Bombs? Shells? Cole threw himself down as a violet beam cut past his ear and disintegrated the wall behind him. A security policeman, wild-eyed, firing erratically. 
One of Sherkov's guards winged him, and his gun skidded to the floor. A robot cannon turned towards him as he made his way past the intersection. He began to run. The cannon rolled along behind him, aiming itself uncertainly. Cole hunched over as he shambled rapidly along, gasping for breath. In the flickering yellow light, he saw a handful of security police advancing, firing expertly, intent on a line of defense Sherkov's guards had hastily set up. The robot cannon altered its course to take them on, and Cole escaped around a corner. He was in the main lab, the big chamber where Icarus himself rose, the vast squat column. Icarus! A solid wall of guards surrounded him, grim-faced, hugging guns and protection shields, but the security police were leaving Icarus alone. Nobody wanted to damage him. Cole evaded a lone guard tracking him and reached the far side of the lab. It only took him a few seconds to find the force field generator. There was no switch. For a moment, that puzzled him. And then he remembered. The guard had controlled it from his wrist. Too late to worry about that. With his screwdriver, he unfastened the plate over the generator and ripped out the wiring in handfuls. The generator came loose, and he dragged it away from the wall. The screen was off, thank God. He managed to carry the generator into a side corridor. Crouched in a heap, Cole bent over the generator, deft fingers flying. He pulled the wiring to him and laid it out on the floor, tracing the circuits with feverish haste. The adaptation was easier than he had expected. The screen flowed at right angles to the wiring, for a distance of six feet. Each lead was shielded on one side. The field radiated outward, leaving a hollow cone in the center. He ran the wiring through his belt, down his trouser legs, under his shirt, all the way to his wrists and ankles. He was just snatching up the heavy generator when two security police appeared. They raised their blasters and fired point-blank. Cole clicked on the screen. A vibration leaped through him that snapped his jaw and danced up his body. He staggered away, half-stupefied by the surging force that radiated out from him. The violet rays struck the field and deflected harmlessly. He was safe. He hurried on down the corridor, past a ruined gun, and sprawled bodies, still clutching blasters. Great drifting clouds of radioactive particles billowed around him. He edged by one cloud, nervously. Guards lay everywhere, dying and dead, partially destroyed, eaten and corroded by the hot metal salts in the air. He had to get out. And fast. At the end of the corridor, a whole section of the fortress was in ruins. Towering flames leaped on all sides. One of the missiles had penetrated below ground level. Cole found a lift that still functioned. A load of wounded guards was being raised to the surface. None of them paid any attention to him. Flames surged all around the lift, licking at the wounded. Workmen were desperately trying to get the lift into action. Cole leaped onto the lift. A moment later, it began to rise, leaving the shouts and flames behind.
The lift emerged on the surface, and Cole jumped off. A guard spotted him and gave chase. Crouching, Cole dodged into a tangled mass of twisted metal, still white-hot and smoking. He ran for a distance, leaping from the side of a ruined defense screen tower, onto the fused ground, and down the side of a hill. The ground was hot underfoot. He hurried as fast as he could, gasping for breath. He came to a long slope and scrambled up the side. The guard who had followed was gone, lost behind in the rolling clouds of ash that drifted from the ruins of Sherkov's underground fortress. Cole reached the top of the hill. For a brief moment, he halted to get his breath and figure out where he was. It was almost evening. The sun was beginning to set. In the darkening sky, a few dots still twisted and rolled. Black specks that abruptly burst into flame and fused out again. Cole stood up cautiously, peering around him. Ruins stretched out below, on all sides, the furnace from which he had escaped. A chaos of incandescent metal and debris, gutted and wrecked beyond repair. Miles of tangled rubbish and half-vaporized equipment. He considered. Everyone was busy putting out the fires and pulling the wounded to safety. It would be a while before he was missed, but as soon as they realized he was gone, they'd be after him. Most of the laboratory had been destroyed. Nothing lay back that way. Beyond the ruins lay the great Ural Peaks, the endless mountains, stretching out as far as the eye could see. Mountains and green forests. A wilderness. They'd never find him there. Cole started along the side of the hill, walking slowly and carefully, his screen generator under his arm. Probably in the confusion, he could find enough food and equipment to last him indefinitely. He could wait until the early morning, then circle back toward the ruins and load up. With a few tools and his own innate skill, he would get along just fine. A screwdriver, hammer, nails, odds and ends. A great hum sounded in his ears. It swelled to a deafening roar. Startled, Cole whirled around. A vast shape filled the sky behind him, growing each moment. Cole stood frozen, utterly transfixed. The shape thundered over him, above his head, as he stood stupidly rooted to the spot. Then, awkwardly, uncertainly, he began to run. He stumbled and fell and rolled a short distance down the side of the hill. Desperately, he struggled to hold on to the ground. His hands dug wildly, futilely, into the soft soil, trying to keep the generator under his arm at the same time. A flash and a blinding spark of light around him. The spark picked him up and tossed him like a dry leaf. He grunted in agony as searing fire crackled about him, a blazing inferno that gnawed and ate hungrily through his screen. He spun dizzily and fell through the cloud of fire, down into a pit of darkness, a vast gulf between two hills. His wiring ripped off. The generator tore out of his grip 
and was lost behind. Abruptly, his force field ceased. Cole lay in the darkness at the bottom of the hill. His whole body shrieked in agony as the unholy fire played over him. He was a blazing cinder, a half-consumed ash flaming in a universe of darkness. The pain made him twist and crawl like an insect, trying to burrow into the ground. He screamed and shrieked and struggled to escape, to get away from the hideous fire, to reach the curtain of darkness beyond, where it was cool and silent, where the flames couldn't crackle and eat at him. He reached imploringly out into the darkness, groping feebly toward it, trying to pull himself into it. Gradually, the glowing orb that was his own body faded. The impenetrable chaos of night descended. He allowed the tide to sweep over him, to extinguish the searing fire. Dixon landed his ship expertly, bringing it to a halt in front of an overturned defense tower. He leaped out and hurried across the smoking ground. From a lift, Reinhardt appeared, surrounded by his security police. He got away from us. He escaped. He didn't escape, Dixon answered. I got him myself. Reinhardt quivered violently. What do you mean? Come along with me, over in this direction. He and Reinhardt climbed the side of a demolished hill, both of them panting for breath. I was landing. I saw a figure emerge from a lift and run towards the mountains like some sort of animal. When he came out of the open, I dived on him and released a phosphorus bomb. Then he's... dead? I don't see how anyone could have lived through a phosphorus bomb. They reached the top of the hill. Dixon halted, then pointed excitedly down to the pit beyond the hill. There. They descended cautiously. The ground was singed and burned clean. Clouds of smoke hung heavily in the air. Occasional fires still flickered here and there. Reinhardt coughed and bent over to see. Dixon flashed on a pocket flare and set it beside the body. The body was charred, half destroyed by the burning phosphorus. It lay motionless, one arm over its face, mouth open, legs sprawled grotesquely, like some abandoned rag doll, tossed in an incinerator, and consumed almost beyond recognition. He's alive, Dixon muttered. He felt around curiously, must have had some kind of protection screen. Amazing, that man could... It's him? It's really him? Fits the description. Dixon tore away a handful of burned clothing. This is the variable man. What's left of him, at least. Reinhardt sagged with relief. Then we've finally got him. The data is accurate. He's no longer a factor. Dixon got out his blaster and released the safety catch thoughtfully. If you want, I can finish the job right now. At that moment, Shirkov appeared, accompanied by two armed security police. He strode grimly down the hillside, 
black eyes snapping. Id Cole? He broke off. Good God. Dixon got him with a phosphorus bomb, Reinhardt said noncommittally. He had reached the surface and was trying to get into the mountains. Cherkov turned wearily away. He was an amazing Peterson. During the attack, he managed to force the lock on the door and escape. The guards fired at him, but nothing happened. He had rigged up some kind of force field around him, something he adapted. Anyhow, it's over with, Reinhardt answered. Did you have SRB plates made up on him? Shirkov reached slowly into his coat. He drew out a manila envelope. Here's all the information I collected about him, while he was with me. Is it complete? Everything previous has been merely fragmentary. As near complete as I could make it. It includes photographs and diagrams of the interior of the globe. The turret wiring he did for me. I haven't had a chance to even look at them. Shirkov fingered the envelope. What are you going to do with Cole? Have him loaded up, taken back to the city, and officially put to sleep by the Youth in Asia Ministry. Legal murder? Shirkov's lips twisted. Why don't you simply do it right here and get it over with? Reinhardt grabbed the envelope and stuck it in his pocket. I'll turn this right over to the machines. He motioned to Dixon. Let's go. Now we can notify the fleet to prepare for the attack on Centaurus. He turned briefly back to Shirkov. When can Icarus be launched? In an hour or so, I suppose. They are locking the turret into place, assuming it functions correctly. That's all that's needed. Good. I'll notify Dufay to send out the signal to the war fleet. Reinhardt nodded at the police to take Sherkov to the waiting security ship. Sherkov moved off dully, his face gray and haggard. Cole's inert body was picked up and tossed into a freight cart. The cart rumbled into the hold of the security ship, and the lock slid shut after it. It'll be interesting to see how the machines respond to the additional data, Dixon said. It should make quite an improvement in the odds, Reinhardt agreed. He patted the envelope, bulging in his inside pocket. They're two days ahead of time. Margaret Dufay got up slowly from her desk. She pushed the chair automatically back. Let me get all this straight. You mean the bomb is finished? Ready to go? Reinhardt nodded impatiently. That's what I said. The technicians are checking the turret locks to make sure it's properly attached. The launching will take place in half an hour. Thirty minutes. Then? Then the attack can begin at once. I assume the fleet is ready for action. Of course. It's been ready for several days. But I can't believe the bomb is ready so soon. Margaret Dufay moved numbly towards the door of her office. This is a great day, Commissioner. An old era lies behind us. This time tomorrow, Centaurus will be gone. 
and eventually the colonies will be ours. It's been a long climb, Reinhard murmured. One thing. Your charge against Sherkov. It seems incredible that a person of his caliber could ever... We'll discuss that later, Reinhardt interrupted coldly. He pulled the manila envelope from his coat. I haven't had an opportunity to feed the additional data into the SRB machines. If you'll excuse me, I'll do that now. For a moment, Margaret Dufay stood at the door. The two of them faced each other silently, neither speaking. A faint smile on Reinhardt's thin lips, hostility in the woman's blue eyes. Reinhardt, sometimes I think perhaps you'll go too far. And sometimes I think you've already gone too far. I'll inform you of any change in the odds showing. Reinhardt strode past her, out of the office and down the hall. He headed towards the SRB room, an intense thalmic excitement rising up inside him. A few moments later, he entered the SRB room. He made his way to the machines. The odds, seven to six, showed in the view windows. Reinhardt smiled a little. Seven to six, false odds based on incorrect information. Now they could be removed. Kaplan hurried over. Reinhardt handed him the envelope and moved over to the window gazing down at the scene below. Men and cars scurried frantically everywhere, officials coming and going like ants, hurrying in all directions. The war was on. The signal had been sent out to the war fleet that had waited so long near Proximus and Taurus. A feeling of triumph raced through Reinhardt. He had won. He had destroyed the man from the past and broken Peter Sherkov. The war had begun as planned. Terra was breaking out. Reinhardt smiled thinly. He had been completely successful. Commissioner? Reinhardt turned slowly. All right? Kaplan was standing in front of the machines, gazing down at the reading. Commissioner? Suddenly, alarm plucked at Reinhardt. There was something in Kaplan's voice. He hurried quickly over. What is it? Kaplan looked up at him, his face white, his eyes wide with terror. His mouth opened and closed, but no sound came. What is it? Reinhardt demanded, chilled. He bent towards the machines, studying the reading, and sickened with horror. One hundred to one, against Terra. He could not tear his gaze away from the figures. He was numb, shocked with disbelief. A hundred to one. What had happened? What had gone wrong? The turret was finished. Icarus was ready. The fleet had been notified. There was a sudden deep buzz from outside the building. Shouts drifted up from below. Reinhardt turned his head slowly towards the window, his heart frozen with fear. Across the evening sky... A trail moved, rising each moment, a thin line of white. Something climbed, gaining speed each moment. On the ground, all eyes were turned towards it, awed faces peering up. The object gained speed, faster 
and faster. Then it vanished. Icarus was on his way. The attack had begun. It was too late to stop. Now. And on the machines, the odds read a hundred to one for failure. This is the end of part four of The Variable Man by Philip K. Dick. You've been listening to an Auditory Entertainment's production. Return soon for the conclusion of The Variable Man. If you enjoyed this performance, please subscribe. Thank you for listening.